Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. So I've been told <laughs> many, many, many times in my life not only what to do and what not to do, but also what to say and what not to say. And to some extent, much of that has come from myself. Uh, if there's anyone out there that's ever put your proverbial foot in your mouth, <laughs> you'll know exactly what I mean. Uh, I had a conversation the other day with someone who was <laughs> talking about a situation of finance and seemed all good to me. And I said, Congratulations! <laughs> You're winning. You're doing well. It sounds like a great situation. Great circumstance. Only to be told, no, 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 no. It's not right. That really doesn't mean I'm ahead. What it means is that if I go that path, I might be ahead right now, but some down, somewhere down the road, sometime down the road, I'm going to be behind. And that means that really it's not such a good thing. And I can't believe you missed that, the obviousness of that point. Um, now, I do believe that my intention was to affirm, to encourage, to support, but at the same time, uh, he's right. I didn't see big picture, and I certainly didn't clearly understand the down-the-road part. Psychology Today. August of 2022, three things therapists shouldn't say. Even the best therapists have made obvious verbal blunders during sessions. Yet many are also guilty of making remarks that, while entirely well-intentioned, nevertheless leave patients feeling minimized or misunderstood. These three utterances in particular could be standing in the way of a strong therapeutic alliance. The first, I understand this reflexive comment aims to signal attention and empathy, but this is a specious perception. To a patient in crisis, I understand can suggest that the therapist has had a similar experience and knows how to successfully navigate it. When it becomes clear that the therapist has no silver bullet, the patient is left feeling irritated, patronized, or even more misunderstood. Feelings that can tarnish the alliance. Replacing I understand with I recognize or I can see shows a therapist is following along with less risk of backlash. Number two, there's not much we can do about that. Imagine being so desperate for relief that you seek therapy. Yet after elucidating the key sources of your distress, you hear there's not much we can do about that. From a clinician's perspective, such a response may seem like an appropriate way to ground a patient in reality and help them learn to accept the unchangeable. Yet it often breeds anxiety and hopelessness instead. Some things indeed cannot be changed, but that doesn't mean the effects can't be managed and the accompanying distress lessened. And finally, number three, you just have to. Sometimes the solution to a problem seems obvious to a clinician, but anyone who has been told to just calm down when emotional knows 
why a patient may receive, you just have to poorly. The word just minimizes the problem. It is important to remember that the patient is someone whose conflict was significant enough to draw them to treatment. Chances are, if they just could have, or if they could have just done something, they would have. Helping them learn new approaches is precisely the therapist's job. Three things therapists shouldn't say. Anthony Smith, licensed mental health counselor, Psychology Today, August of 2022. Now, I've already confessed. I've done this plenty of times. Maybe with that confession, I'm still a bit in the dark. Remit on knowing exactly what I should do <laughs> to not do that. Uh, I want to be responsive. I want to be helpful. I want to be there. I want to encourage. I want to support. And possibly so, you could want that too much. <laughs> but isn't that in some, also some ways, why people come to seek help or assistance or guidance? Yes, they want the information. Yes, they want the direction or at least they want help, assist, in finding the answer or taking or, or knowing the direction they should take to resolve the problem. But along the way, it seems to me the comfort, the support, the true therapeutic alliance and rapport is also built upon not only getting it absolutely right, but having a strong enough relationship. If you get it wrong, it doesn't break it. I'm fact-fighting. <laughs> I want to be, again, encouraging, supportive. I want to create a safe environment. And if I have to, on the front end of it, just almost overdo that, I might be inclined to overdo that. I do think we live in a hostile world, for the most part. And even when you're with family or friends, they may have their own stuff they're contending with and maybe don't have the resources. Maybe they don't have the know-how. Maybe that's the problem. Your family and friends... The social network that you are presently engaged in or involved with or run with, as we used to say, is really maybe not all that supportive. Maybe you didn't learn it growing up. Maybe you didn't get it growing up. But it seems to me to lead with that is probably not an error. At least it affirms positive intention. Uh, I want to help. I could see whereas with the author in the article, if you're believing that the person comes in and that they're really that sensitive to the criticism, the least the potential of somebody getting it wrong and then otherwise gets to that place where they've not really ever had somebody there that they could talk to or maybe a lot of their family and friends, even maybe those others that have, they've sought advice from that offered some advice have really not been about them. It's been about maybe the person offering the advice. I guess you could take that stance that that communicates a bit of, I'm really not listening to you. I'm just telling you what I would do in the situation, not necessarily then not listening to you, understanding what you would do in the situation. That's all true. That's right. That's ethical. That's proper. It's not about me. It's about the patient. But if they come in that sensitive, I'm probably going to realize that too. <laughs> and 
that's sort of a moderated thing then. There are times when you do say things like, I understand, or maybe we can't really work on that right now. I probably wouldn't say that's something we can't do much about. Uh, or I surely wouldn't say, you just have to. Unless the patient has <laughs> then already told me that's what they believe, and they just, again, need some affirmation encouragement. I'm just there to try to create as much two things. A very safe and secure place where a person feels affirmed. And even if I'm wrong in my affirmations, I'm probably going to lean more toward the affirming and the affirmation part, mitigating any sort of real immediate imminent risk of disappointment uh, or even so disagreement. And you can say, well, where's the disagreement coming from? Because there's just some things <laughs> that are just not right to do. A lying to yourself, uh, denial. It's very obvious. Most of us, all of us, I would hope, in, in the field would agree with this point. That's wrong. But you can't come right out and say, well, you're lying to yourself. Because <laughs> that's probably not going to be helpful. Or if you're going to say that, then you have to say it with kindness, within the proper perspective. You're in denial, <laughs> and you need to come out into the light. But who's got the light? Well, I'm not saying I'm the one with the flashlight or the spotlight or whatever it is. Uh, I'm just saying come out and open up, and we'll start talking about it, and Maybe you'll get it wrong a couple more times, and I'm surely to get it wrong probably more than you until I discover what you're really about. But isn't that what the conversation is supposed to look like? Mutual respect, affirmation, assume positive intention. If you come see a therapist, assume positive intention. I, I lead with that from my side of it. Uh, I believe the person's there genuinely to get help. I don't believe they're there to trick me. I don't believe they're there to lie to me. They've been doing that to themselves, or others have done that to them, and they've adopted that, or maybe they bought into that in some manner or measure that's perpetuated it. Uh, they started to do it in themselves. It's not just the other. Maybe they've surrounded themselves, as I was trying to suggest earlier. With people who are inclined to be... <laughs> shall I say, narcissistic or self-absorbed to the point where they're really not going to pay attention to what you have to say, they're, except that it's an opportunity for them to tell you what they think uh, or what they would do, assuming some sort of superior position. But that's not what therapists are about. That's not what you should come to a therapist expecting. And should you get that, and maybe that is the intention of the article, if this is all about the therapist being about the therapist and not about you, then those are red flags. But I'd still like to assume some positive intention from the field in general that I believe most of us are and want them to be helpful and supportive. And we ourselves are open to taking feedback. But being so concerned with making it about you that we don't, as a therapist, as a clinician, a psychological counselor, offer you any feedback or input, even if we don't have the full picture at the moment, it's probably not going to help you. I've heard many people complain. They've gone 
to talk to someone and all they've got is, mm-hmm, mm, mm, you did that. You say you feel this way. And that's good feedback, but you're just affirming what the person feels. Where does the, where does the change take place? And I get it also replacing phraseology, words, with more important or appropriately and then appropriate and then appropriately and importantly, different ways of conveying the same message where there may be some risk of prejudice or bias, not that you've done it, but that they've just brought it in, the person's brought it in with them. I understand, I recognize, or I can see. That's all good, too. It suggests at least the I part. And maybe that's what I'm trying to get to, is there does need to be an I part, even from the therapist. We're not a machine. (laughs) I had a conversation with a good friend of mine. I think he'd consider me a good friend, although he's a CEO of a, of a company and I do some work for him. He's still got a bit of a friendship thing going. He says, it's all going to be automated. So what do you mean? It's, a, it's an app. I said, tell me more. He said, I was on vacation and I ran into this person. And he basically says, I'm an app developer and uh, I could do this, this, and this. And uh, his specialty, this friend slash CEO of this company, I do some contractual work with, says, well, we need somebody just like you because we need to create an app where people can go online and access advice. What kind of advice? Of course, if I'm working for him, you know what kind of advice. It's mental health. It's behavioral health. And this friend slash CEO says, and the program developer says, sentient, that he has gotten to a point where computers, his own programming, can be so complete in terms of comprehending or understanding. <laughs> I use that word. Maybe I should change that. Rec- I'm sure the computer would say this in response. I recognize or I can see. And those are, again, the appropriate words. But can they and should it be that way? Should therapy be so mechanistic or so objective that you remove the I or any I as with human personal relatability? Maybe so. Maybe you just are looking for X's and O's no matter how nicely packaged it is, no matter what choice of voice, male or female, it's still the computer. Maybe no matter (laughs) where they're located, uh, maybe they're just in the cloud. Maybe you'll never see a face, or if you see a face, maybe it'll be a, what is a CGI, computer-generated image. Maybe they'll seem like they have feelings, maybe they will have feelings, but... Can they be really, truly human and relatable? And what does that mean? (laughs) It means communication. It means communication, a back and forth. Even if if I've got it wrong, I at least lead with, again, positive intention. And I try to measure my... (laughs) 
choice of language or vernacular in the best way I can, but I try to communicate it with the proper emotion and empathy. I don't know that you could do that if you're a computer. You could probably say it in a way that is vague enough, neutral enough that the person can insert whatever they think it is, and maybe that's really what we're moving to. It's physician heal thyself. It's patient heal thyself. Maybe you don't need me. Maybe you just need something to bounce it off of. And I, I don't know that I completely disagree with that either. But it does seem that the moment that you take away the immediacy or the imminence of that back and forth, you eliminate true rapport. You could come up with an, a, a substitute for emotions. Uh, you can allow maybe, again, the patient to insert their emotions and then with that presume my emotions. But isn't that the problem, too? When they come in, when an individual comes in to see me, when possibly even you come in to see me, you are already presuming a lot of things. You have a perspective that, if you were not coming to see me, might be called adaptive, but coming to see me suggests there's some part of it that's not working. Don't you want a different perspective? Would you not want some authenticity and genuineness? And if we can't communicate at that level of relatability, then aren't you going to also say, well, you don't understand me simply because you're not in my head, or at least you're not making connection points with what's in my head or my heart sufficient to start the back and forth. It's true. My job is not to give answers, unless they're the obvious ones, like don't lie to yourself, as an example that I used earlier. Or that seems like it could be a bit of denial, and how would you know, except somebody would come along and point it out. But I don't make moral judgments and value judgments. And if I make any sort of move toward value, it's you're worth everything. There's nobody worth more than you. And I want to help you just like I want to help everyone else to the same extent or degree. There's no prejudice or bias in my desire to help. Because I keep all that in mind or heart. And I respond not to any of those may be so much so, those superficials, possibly some. But most of those superficials, the things that lead to stereotyping and stereotypy and typey and prejudice and those kind of things, I want to respond to your heart. But isn't that then where we are in an imminent, immediate kind of conversation? It'll become a uh, uh, intellectual. It'll include paradigms and worldviews and models and what you want and don't want. And that's all discovery. That's the investigation part. But I need to establish rapport as quickly and soon as possible. And what better way than to do it in a heartfelt way? And what better method than genuine positive regard? Unconditional acceptance. We lead with those. It's just basic core sort of theory when it comes to establishing rapport. 
And if we do that properly, then you feel confident you can't say anything that's going to offend me because not that I couldn't be offended, but that I've already established not only my intention, but hopefully between me and you, and if it's a family, everybody that comes with you, that this is a safe place. Carl Rogers, renowned for that type of therapy, or at least the basis, his whole basis was just be that way with people. And if you are, then they'll open up. And if they open up, maybe they will just talk to someone who says, mm-hmm, right, oh, <laughs> I can see, I see, not understand, I recognize and that'll be enough. But then again, maybe you'll want a bit more. But the more I know, the more I can help. But the one thing I know, if I don't lead with this, you're not going to feel validated or affirmed. You're not going to feel encouraged. You're not even going to feel that I have an emotional investment. You say, well, you should never have an emotional investment because you're a therapist. <clears throat> I beg to disagree. I can love everybody, can't I? I can try to have unconditional regard, if not <laughs> call it love. I can have unconditional regard for anybody that comes in. It's a state of mind, but it's also then my heart. I don't have to measure you and judge you. That's not what I'm there for. What I'm there for is to help you and assist you. We'll let the facts lead us. We'll let the information the discussion, take us in the direction that we need to go. But at the same time, if I don't show that positive intention, genuine positive regard, you're not going to come back. So as much as <laughs> we do that, then the words, they're important, but you're going to allow me some mistakes. In the same way, I'm going to afford you. Opportunities just to be real in the moment. I'm not trying to pretend like I'm something I'm not or in a position to tell you everything about you when I know very little except what you've been able to either show me or tell me in the very little time that we've had together. So as far as there's not much that we can do about that, that's false too. Because if that's true, then there's probably no problem that can't be resolved or solved. You may come to dead ends on certain solutions that you want to employ, but adaptability suggests that there's never a dead end. Adaptability suggests that as long as we're doing this the right way, the highest order of thought, research, methodology, empirical thinking, hypothetical deductive reasoning, highest sort of rationality we call science. We do it according to that. At least that's our great aspiration. Then we'll just keep testing the theory, and I'm sure we'll come, keep coming up with different hypotheses. It may be one that doesn't have an, again, imminent, immediate fix, but I've already done the thing that I can most imminently or immediately do. <laughs> I've given you support. 
Yeah, you may have another five years before you can retire. There may be another 15 years before the kids grow up. Uh, And by the way, my friend at the beginning of the podcast today that I was speaking to, not the CEO friend, but the other person I was talking to about his financial success, he's about ready to retire. Got a few years left, offering him this sweet package. (laughs) But they won't let him double dip. They won't let him earn a salary and retire at the same time. And he's wondering, is that really a win for me the last few years that I might work for this company that might extend beyond my retirement age? He's a pretty smart guy. Most of us don't have that luxury. Uh, Of course, I couldn't give him an answer. And, you know, he, of course... He's going to do better than talk to me. He's going to talk to a financial advisor. But the one thing I could say to him is not only, well, maybe I didn't get that right. Maybe it's not good news that you're going to make a boatload of money for the next three or four years, especially if you're thinking about retiring in a year and maybe you'll lose some money in the the exchange. But I told him, I'm sorry, I didn't see that coming. I got that wrong. But I told him, at least you got a choice. And I'm sure I got that right. And not only do you have a choice, you have several. You just have to test them out. You have to, again, do all that great thought processing and maneuvering. And you have to consider the emotions because I think he's ready to retire. All those things are things that matter. All those are factors that need to be factored in. So there's always an answer if you've got the right support. It may not, once again, be the answer you want, but that's up to you. You need to tell me. Had another patient, a patient, that came in the other day, another encounter, where they're in an abusive home. And they keep saying, I think if I just stay a little bit longer, it's going to get better. I said, it's getting worse. It's a fact. They agree. Where do you draw the line? They couldn't draw the line. They weren't ready to leave. And I told them, well, I don't want you to get hurt anymore, but it's your choice. I shouldn't tell you to leave. It's your choice. But I won't let you get hurt. That's my choice and a mandate that I have to protect you as best I can when I think you are not capable of making a good decision for yourself. But that's a line that's way out there and reserved for all but the most extreme cases of people who have become so mentally challenged, ill, they are not functioning in reality. They're psychotic. Or they're going to kill somebody (laughs) or kill themselves. And I can't let them do that either, presuming that that's not a good thought or a rational thought. Might be a bit more arguable the second in today's culture and climate and world and social world that we live in. But I can say there's plenty of choices. We just have to figure out which one and recognize you. You're the one that has to make the final call. I'm just there to try to support you. And I think I've already addressed this, but the just have to stuff, I'm only going to tell you that once you tell me what you've decided to do. But if you tell me you're going to do something, but you don't do something, and we keep going around the same block, and I say, well, you know, you say you're going to do this, but you really don't do this, and why don't you do this? And 
but I really need to do this, you tell me. And I say, well, okay, do you want me to hold you accountable to this? Yeah, hold me accountable because I just really need to. Then I'm going to hold you accountable. And so every time you come in, I'm going to ask, did you do that? And I may on, on occasions or at times agree with you. You just have to. How do you get it done? You just have to. But it's not going to come from me. Again, it's going to come from the process. It's going to come from the therapeutic milieu, the rapport that we've established, the ability to conduct this experiment, to test the thesis as we're looking at answers for problems or looking at problems and coming up with answers. But the minute you say, well, I'm not going to do it, and don't say that ever again, I'm not going to, but... I should believe that our relationship is strong enough by that point. You can tell me that, and I'm not going to take offense. Hopefully, you won't take offense. That's the measure of a strong relationship. Not only as much getting it right, which this article, I think, gets right, but forgiveness, allowance. If we get it wrong, and actually exampling the very thing that I'm coaching, <laughs> counseling. I need to take the feedback myself and modify it. That's what we do. That's how we get to answers. And if I do it well, <coughs> excuse me, then it'll help you. And it'll always be true to you because you're the centerpiece. Getting back to artificial intelligence and my CEO slash friend, maybe that'll work. I don't think so. But maybe it will. And I'm okay. I've never talked to a computer or had a conversation with a computer that I felt really had feelings. Maybe they can. Maybe they will. Maybe they do. I don't know. But there's probably also a thin margin or fine line between feelings and opinion, thoughts. Um, and maybe computers one day will have so much the capacity in an X and O sort of way to think, artificial intelligence, that they'll cross that line and get into feelings. I don't know. Passions. Doesn't seem to have happened yet, but maybe, who knows? Maybe it already has, and we're being run by computers now, or computers are beginning to take over. <laughs> I don't mean that. I do kind of mean that, but I don't really think that's real. So... Three things therapists shouldn't say in context of the article, and I believe the intention of Anthony Smith, MLMHC, licensed mental health counselor. In the August 2022 edition of Psychology Today, I would agree with that. But you come see me, I'm going to also be relatable. And with that thought in mind, I also hope that I am at least relatable enough <laughs> in context of the podcast, that even so, when we just do this via the podcast, maybe it's kind of like that. Maybe I'm just like a computer talking at you. I still think it's relatable. I try to make it relatable. I try to connect with every, within every human dimension I have and consideration of the possibilities of all of you out there and where you might be and if it is relatable and it's kind of connected in some way, the communication, that we have a bit of communion <laughs> working together, great. That's the intention of it. And if I've got it wrong on a few occasions, then forgive me. <laughs> I'll take the feedback. And 
You can always get a hold of me. There's plenty of ways to do it that are posted with the link to the podcast. Do so. I'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, (laughs) I want to invite you back to what? Word with Dave Clay. And until then, I sincerely mean it. I want to wish you the best of health. And with that, the best of behavioral health, mental good, good mental health. Until then.